0: We're turning in your Bibles to Matthew 2, we're continuing, or we're starting to look this morning, really, and this morning and next, next week as well, we're, we're going to be thinking about the birth of Christ and, and this time of the year, and, and what we're going to look at this, we're calling this Searching for the Newborn King. As we look at this passage, we see the wise men, the ones come from far away. They've come seeking the one born king of the Jews. They come to Jerusalem, and they start asking questions, and uh, they come to King Herod. Herod asks the religious leaders. They find out they're supposed to be in Bethlehem, and they, uh, the, the Magi, and we'll talk about who they are, they go down there, and they see him, and they respond to him as the king of kings and the savior of the world. So as we begin, let me just raise some questions. Let's think about who are these wise men? And they're sometimes called magi. What what does that mean? And how many wise men were there? And where did they go to find Jesus? And when did they come? And so as we look at this, there's some uh, some things that are in this that uh, there are traditions that are actually contrary to the Scripture. And so as we look at the Scripture this morning, we'll see some things that fit together, and we'll see how the Bible fits. Well, we think about the Christmas story is so fantastic. We usually look at Luke 2 and Matthew 2 to get the Christmas story and put the whole thing together. It's so familiar. Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth, which is in Galilee, and they go down to Bethlehem, and they go because Caesar Augustus had this census, and they travel from the north, go into the south, and they go slow, and by the time they get there, there's no room, and so they end up being outside, basically, with. the Animals were and Jesus is born, it's put in a feed trough, and the Savior of the world comes and And uh, uh, they get there, and of course, uh, an angel goes and and tells the shepherds that the baby's been born, the Messiah, good news of great joy to all people. And so the shepherds come, and they see the the baby, and, and it's just fantastic. And so what a story, the truth of Christmas. God has become a man. Jesus Christ called Emmanuel, God with us. And that night, the Word became flesh, and the Savior of the world came, and God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, as we think about it, we usually think that night, we think, well, that's not all, though. The wise men were there. I mean, if you see one of those scenes, you know, you've got the manger scene. We call it a manger scene. Manger's a feed trough. But I mean, there's a baby, and there's Mary and Joseph, and some shepherds, and some animals. And then there's three guys standing over, usually with gifts, with crowns on their heads. And we say, we three kings of Orient are, you know, here's the, the magi. The, and so the question is, were they there that night? What, what happened? Where are they? Well, let's think about it. We're going to look at it from the Word of God. And as we go this morning, we raise a couple of questions. First of all, how many wise men were there? And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us. Tradition says three. And people say, well, there were three wise men, and they were kings or something. Nobody knows. Do you know where the three came from? There's a, uh, The book, Ben-Hur, Judah Ben-Hur, was written by Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace, at the beginning of the book, has three men come in on camels, different places, and they all come together in one spot. And then they decide they need to go to Bethlehem. Actually, they need to go to Jerusalem is what they think of the book. And so a lot of times, people from that book written by Lou Wallace, he was a, a general in the in the, in the the Civil War, um, a lot of people think, well, there were three wise men, but the Bible never says there were three wise men. In fact, as we look at the passage, we're going to see there were probably much more than three wise men. And then, when did they come? You know, uh, most major scenes you see, the wise men are standing there, but we're going to find this morning that it, they were probably... They probably came about two years after Jesus was born. And we'll talk more about that as we look at the passage. So we're going to see the wise men coming to find the one born king of the Jews. So as we start, let's just realize that Jesus has been born about two years. And we'll see what passes. The city of Jerusalem is going to be in uproar when this caravan arrives from the east saying, where is he born, king? of the Jews. So, look at it. Let me give you the outline of the passage. We're going to see verses 1 through 4, searching for Jesus. They come to Jerusalem looking for Herod. They come to King Herod to find out. Uh, They go to the book of Micah to find out where the king would be born. The wise men go down and find him, and they see the response is worship. And so, as we look at this, now think about this. Most likely, the wise men probably came from what would be modern-day Iraq, and it was about a 500-mile trip for them to make that trip, and, and we'll talk more about how they knew and those kind of things, and we'll see what's going on. So let's start with the searching for Jesus and look at verse 1 of chapter 2 of Matthew. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Well, we'll get to what they said in just a minute. It says after the birth of Jesus Christ. And a lot of people want to say, well, that's the night Jesus was born. We're going to find that it's not. Back in chapter 1, Matthew already gives us the background of an angel coming to Joseph and in a dream and telling him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which is in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's the Son of God. He'll be the Savior of the world. Don't be afraid to do that. In fact, it, it says, uh, don't be afraid. She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And remember, Joseph and Mary ad- actually lived in Nazareth, but they came all the way down to Bethlehem, because of the census. There was a census, and they had to leave the northern part to come down to the southern part. Now, why, what's so special about Bethlehem? Well, first of all, it's the hometown of the great King David. It's called David's town, the city of David. But second, the Old Testament prophet Micah said the Messiah would be born there, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so we're going to see that. Now, notice the verse says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, let me just say something. It says Bethlehem of Judea on purpose. There is another Bethlehem. It's in the northern part of Israel. It's not famous at all. This is famous because this is where David was, that's David's hometown, and that's where the Messiah is born. But when you'll notice, it'll almost always say, Bethlehem of Judea. It'll always say that because I want to make sure, the Bible wants you to make sure you understand which Bethlehem that it is. Now, so after was Jesus born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Well, first of all, who is this Herod? He's Herod the Great. He was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the Jewish people. Let me just say this. When the Romans took over, they picked this man named Herod. He was a powerful man. They said, you may rule over, you may be the king of the Jewish people. It was his job to oversee the Jewish people. He was an evil man. He was a very powerful man. He was a builder. He built a place called Masada. He helped build the temple. He built a Caesarea by the sea, a big palace there. He was a famous man. He called himself the Great. He was known Herod the Great. Right? He had a number of sons. After he died, some of his sons took parts of the, the old kingdom that he had ruled. Uh, he was evil. When his son, some of his sons, when they got old enough to threaten him, he would kill them. He was that kind of man. He's the same one that, uh, that killed all of the boy babies in, in Bethlehem uh, when he found out the Messiah was there. He, he killed every boy two years old and under in Bethlehem. So that's who he is. He's an evil man. And, uh, and then it says magi. Now, who are these? Well, a lot of people talk about astronomy, and a lot of people talk about astrology. Astrology is where you would try to tell the future from the stars. And we have astrology today. Other people, it's, it's a cultish thing. But astronomers, they, these wise men, these called magi, were astronomers, and they actually studied the stars. And we're going to find out that they somehow had this idea that there would be a star come someday that would talk about a king of the Jews. Now, where would they get such an idea? Well, you remember that when Daniel, some 600 years earlier, Daniel had been taken off into captivity in the Babylonian Empire, then it became the Medio Persian Empire, that's modern day Iraq, and and so he told them about a Messiah. In fact, there's a passage uh, that says one day the, a star will come out of Jacob. And and they were looking for that. So many people believe that these so-called wise men, Numbers twenty four seventeen says there'll be a star coming out of Jacob. And they were looking for that star. So many think, people think that these people left what is what a modern day Iraq came all the way 500 miles to try to find this baby, this this one born king of the Jews. Now, Don't picture three men on a camel. I think you're going to find a caravan of people coming that far for that long looking for the king of the Jews. And we'll we'll show you why in just a minute. We think it was more than three people. It was probably a lot of people. Look at verse 2. It says, they came, they arrived in Jerusalem, and here's what they said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, I want you to notice what they said. They didn't say... Where's the one appointed king of the Jews? They said, Where's the one born king of the Jews? See, Herod had been appointed king of the Jews by the Romans, but when they come and they actually come to Herod and they talk to him and they say, We're looking for the one born king of the Jews. Immediately Herod says, Wait a minute, I'm I'm the king of the Jews. No, you've been appointed king of the Jews. You're not the one born king. Of the Jews. This is the one that takes the throne. If you go to Luke chapter 1, the angel told Mary that she was going to have a child, and the child would take the throne of David, and he would rule the kingdom forever. And this is what they're coming to see. They're trying to find the one who is born king of the Jews. And as I said earlier, Numbers 24 17 says, There's going to come forth a star out of Jacob, this is what it says. A scepter, a ruler will come out of Israel. And so these these so-called magi, these astronomers, they're coming and they're saying, we're coming to find the king of the Jews, the one who will rule in righteousness. They've come to worship him. And by the way, they're expecting him to be a little boy. They're not expecting him to be a grown man. They're coming all this way to see the God-man because they know who he is. Matthew tells us that, uh, uh, that that his, his name is Emmanuel, Jesus. Of course, Jesus means Savior. Emmanuel means God with us. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ became a person. They're coming for the Savior. When we think of Jesus Christ, especially at Christmas, we think of the baby born, placed in a manger in a feed trough. We must realize that that one, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Savior of the world. Well, look at the response by Herod. Look at verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I want you to understand, he was bothered because he knew that people are coming looking for another king. He's supposed to be the king. He would say, I'm the king of the Jews, but these people are looking for the one not appointed as king of the Jews, but the one who is born king of the Jews. And so he's all troubled. And it says, and all Jerusalem with him. That's why I do not think it was three people coming in Jerusalem with this message. I think it was a caravan of people coming in raising these questions. Jerusalem at this time is not a little city. It's not something like Bethlehem or some of the little smaller cities around there. Jerusalem is a big city. So for three people to come in there and raise some questions would not trouble the entire city. But the whole city was troubled because of this big caravan of people. And and so here it is. Uh, Whether there were three wise men or 300 wise men, there's no way to know. But it seems to be a a big group of people coming. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So what's going to happen now? We're going to get some information so here's what he does. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4 Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now the chief priest were the top priests. There were a number of priests, but there was uh, uh, ones that were like the high priest and and the ones that were kind of under him, and they were called the chief priests. So Herod actually brings in the religious leaders and the scribes. Now, the scribes were those who copied the Bible, but they were the scholars. If you had a Bible question at this time, you wouldn't go to the priest. You would go to a scribe and you would say, What does the Bible say about something? Because they copied the Bible all the time. So Herod Smart, he brings in the chief priest and the scribes of the people and he inquired to them, He said, Wait a minute, where is the Messiah to be born? Well, when you think about Messiah, the Greek word for Messiah, of course, is Christos, Christ, and the Hebrew is Mashiach, Messiah. They both mean the anointed one of God. It's the idea of the Savior and the one that God has set apart, the king and the Christ are the same. So when he says, I want to know where the Messiah is to be born, that's the same as saying, I want to know where the king is to be born. I want to know what's going on. Herod says, I want to find out. Now, these people have come 500 miles. So Herod's all bothered about it. So he goes, and he brings in, he says, he gathered together the chief priests and scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He said, "Where, where, where is he? Well, let me ask you a question. Where do you find Jesus today? You thought about that? We know he came to the earth, was born in Bethlehem, lived on the earth thirty to thirty three years, did all the ministry, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, walked on the earth forty days, and has ascended into heaven. So if you said, Where is Jesus today? He is seated at the right hand of the authority of the Father, seated at in heaven. But he is always found because he's everywhere. And we come to Jesus by faith in him alone. We believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we have that salvation. He is the only one that can give us peace. He is the only one that can give a relationship a relationship with God. Well, what do they do? When he asks the question, he says, chief priests and scribes, where's the Messiah to be born? Where do they go? Well, where do we go when we have a question? We go to the Bible. We go to the word of God. 2 Timothy says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. So if we have a question, where do we go? We go to the Scripture. Well, where did they go? They went to the Scripture. And so he gathered them and he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? And they said to him, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what had been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They went straight to the Bible. In fact, they went to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They went to that part, which told about where the Messiah would be born. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, remember, Bethlehem of Judea. And Bethlehem was six miles south of Jerusalem. Now, that's like going halfway to Perkins, Right? She said, I want to go. Well, how far is it? Well, it's like five or six miles down the road. You know, it's about halfway to Perkins. Would you go halfway to Perkins to see Jesus? You know, the religious leaders realized that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, which was six miles away, and are they going to go find him? The answer is no, they don't care. It's amazing to me how religion always does that. See, religion is a man trying to get to God somehow, and true Christianity is God-pleasing God and this is religion, and they find out that the Messiah, they say, well, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. How far is that from here? It's about six miles. We see no record or any idea that any of the religious leaders went the six miles to see if they could find the Messiah. Six miles away. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah said the Messiah king will be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Now, I've got three questions I want to bring up just for a second as we look at this passage. Where did Jesus come to? Where did Jesus come from? And why did Jesus come? That's what we want to think about for just a second. So let's start with the first question is, where did Jesus come to? Well, he came to Bethlehem. If you notice, it says, in Bethlehem of Judea, this is what had been written by the prophet. Bethlehem was called the city of David. That's because King David grew up there. That's David's hometown. And so if you're a descendant of David, you're going to end up going back to Bethlehem. That's why Joseph and Mary left Nazareth in the northern part of Israel and came all the way down to the southern part of Israel to Bethlehem because of the registration. Because they had to register. And both Mary and Joseph were descendants of King David. That's a big deal. And so the city of David is Bethlehem. It's a small village. It wasn't big then. It's not even big now. And it says... Bethlehem of Judea, coming from you will be a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you understand that he says that born in that city, the little city of Bethlehem, will be the ruler who will shepherd Israel, who will be the king of Israel, who will be the king of the Jews. That goes back to a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, that God made to King David and said, you'll have a son that will sit on the throne of Israel for Ever. that's Jesus Christ, and this is the promise, and this is the fulfillment of that promise. So where did Jesus come to? He came to Bethlehem. Where did he come from? Well, according to Micah chapter five, verse two, he came from eternity he 's always existed. His going forth is from long ago. Now the verse I just read for you, if you look at verse six in your Bibles that 's not the whole verse in in, the, in in Micah chapter five in Micah chapter five, verse two. He, The uh, writer of Matthew did not quote the whole verse. The rest of the verse actually says, His goings forth are from long ago, from all eternity. Micah tells us that the one born in Bethlehem has always existed. You understand that when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, that wasn't the first time he was around. He's always existed. He is the eternal son of God that at a point in time in history left the glories of heaven and became a human being. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman in order that he might redeem us. So Jesus has always existed. So where did he come from? He came from all eternity. There's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit always existing from all eternity. And so he came, and this passage, uh, Isaiah 5, uh, excuse me, Micah 5.2, not completely quoted in Matthew, but says, his goings forth are from long ago, from all eternity. We studied in Grow Group, uh, Isaiah 9.6, just, just a few minutes ago. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You understand that the child being born is humanity. The son was not born. The Son was given. The Son has always existed. Jesus Christ has always existed. So He is that eternal one. And so if you look at this passage, we say, where did Jesus come from come to? He came to Bethlehem. Where did He come from? He came from all eternity. And then the third question is, why did he come? Well, if you look at the passage, it says he came to be the ruler. For out of you come ruler and shepherd, my people Israel. Isaiah nine six. He's going to be the ruler uh, of Israel. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the One the government will be upon his shoulders. There'll never be end to his government. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You understand, one day, Jesus Christ will come back to this earth as the king. He will rule 1,000 years on this earth. That's Revelation chapter 20. As the king of kings, Lord of lords, he'll make a new heavens and a new earth, and he will rule for all eternity. That's who he is. He is the savior and the king. The one born in Bethlehem is the eternal Son of God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we think about it, he came, he came to rule, but he had to go to the cross first. He had to die to pay for sin. The cross must come before the crown. The first time Jesus came, he came to die. The second time he comes, he comes to reign in righteousness and justice. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd dies for the sheep. Jesus died for us. He says, I lay down my life, and I take it up again. The religious leaders knew who the Messiah was. They knew Isaiah 53. They knew all of the suffering passages from Isaiah, beginning in chapter 42 up. They knew the prophecies in the Old Testament. They knew about a Messiah who would come, and they would not go six miles to see the Messiah. While these magi have gone 500 miles To find him. How far would you go? It amazes me that these religious leaders knew everything. Do you know that some of the Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Scripture? You know, they didn't have it like we have it. And you could talk to some Pharisee, and they might quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They could do it. And yet, they wouldn't go six miles To see the Messiah. Religion. That's what it does. It destroys. True Christianity. We're looking for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about our country. There are people all over our country. There's books and, and radio and television all proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And so many people just ignore it and could care less. Well, what happens? Well, the discovery. Let's go to Bethlehem and find him. Let's, let's do that. So here's what Herod decides. He's got this, he's got kind of got a plan. And so here's what he does. He calls in the wise man. Now, notice he does it secretly. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Now, you gotta stop and think. What is he doing? He calls him in. He said, Don't tell anybody I'm talking to you. About what time did you first see the star? See, the star is what led them there. So he asked them, what time time did you see the star? And you know what they tell him? They tell him about two years ago. We started seeing it about two years ago. How do we know that? Because later on, when Herod is angry and he wants to kill, he wants to kill every boy baby that could possibly be the Messiah, he says, we'll kill them all two years old and under. About the time the star first appeared. You can read that. It's in Matthew. In fact, it's Matthew. Chapter 2, verse 16. Killed him, two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi when the star first appeared. So he asked them, when, when did you first see the star? And they said, it's about two years. It's taken us two years to get here. So what happens? He then sent them, verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. He's a liar. He doesn't want to worship Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to worship this child. He wants to kill him because he's threatened. He says, this child, whoever he is, has been born king of the Jews. Well, I've been appointed a king of the Jews, and I'm not going to have any competition. And so I'm going to find that child, and I'm going to kill that child. So he tells the magi, listen, go down there and find the child. And be sure and tell me, because I would love to come down there and worship. I uh, kill him. I mean, worship him. Because that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. So look what happens. And hearing, after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, wait, let's think of some questions for a second. The star must have disappeared when they got to Jerusalem. Must have. Because we see in just a minute that as they get ready to go down to Bethlehem, the star appears again and leads them to Bethlehem to where the child is. So I got a couple of questions. Wonder why the star didn't lead them to Jesus to begin with. I don't know. Do you know? Don't know. Why did the star disappear and then appear again? We don't know. And what kind of star was this? Because if you go outside and look at stars and you start walking, they still keep going. And you go, I'm not getting close to that star. But you know what? You're going to find out that this star goes right over the house, and they know exactly where he is. So it's not a star star like we always. God made something in the sky that they could follow. Look what it says again. After hearing, verse 9 again, after hearing the, uh, the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before him until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, I want you to stop and think for a second. In the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there is a word called breathos, which means a baby. And it means a baby in the womb and a newborn baby. Okay? And then there's a Greek word, pation which means a little boy. In this passage, when it says, and they came to the place where the child was, it's not Brethos, it's not a baby, it's Padion; it's a little boy. By this time, Jesus may be close to two years old. So he's not a baby. And so, yeah, and, and, and then look, look what happened. When they saw the star, they rejoiced, exceedingly with great joy. They probably said, there it is, it's back, it's back. Let's follow it. And so, what did they do? What is the response? By, by the way, this is, this is Herod who had killed uh, all the baby, boy babies two years old and under at the time of the star. How do you respond to Jesus? Some people can respond by worshiping him and some people reject him. And we're going to see in this passage, the wise men go worship him and Herod rejects him. So What happens? It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced him with great joy. And after coming, look at verse 11 carefully. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and some myrrh. Now notice, it, they're not outside. They're not in a feed trough. They're, they're not with a bunch of shepherds. They're, they're in a house, and they're with the child. See, it's, it, so the response, it's not a place with animals. It's a house. And he's a child, he's, not, he's a little boy, he's not a baby. And so, I mean, I hate to say it, but when people say, the night that Jesus was born there, the wise men stand. they were not there. They came two years later. Shepherds were there, Mary was there, Joseph was there, Jesus was there, angels were there. I mean, but not the wise men, not the magi. Two years later, they came and they worshiped him. Look what they came to do. Then coming into the house, they saw the child, the little boy, with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold. Do you understand that these men and people who have traveled all this way are falling down to worship a little boy? Because that little boy is the Savior of the world who's going to grow up to age 30 to begin a ministry that will prove that he is indeed the Savior and the King of Kings and he will die on the cross to pay for sin. He will rise from the grave to conquer death and he will give as a gift to anyone eternal life who believes in him. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Harold Bonner says worship is recognizing the worth and that's what they've done. Worshiping is, is... Responding to who he is and what he has done. So, what do they give him? They bring these treasures, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Think about gold, was, it's deity. That Gold always has that idea of representing deity because he's the living God. Frankincense always smells good. It's like a perfume. It's real expensive. It was sweet, sweet smelling. It's like his life, a perfect life. And then myrrh, myrrh was used. It smelled good, but it was used at burials shortly, you know, that, that before somebody, well, shortly before his death, he got anointed with myrrh, but he got anointed with it even after he died. And here he is at his at his... Two years old, they bring in myrrh. Now, let me just tell you something. Myrrh is real expensive. Frankincense is real expensive. And gold is real expensive. Now, let's stop for a second and think. They brought these gifts to Joseph and Mary. I wonder why. Why would God let these people bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Joseph and Mary? Well, let's talk about Joseph and Mary. You realize that he was like a carpenter and they lived in Nazareth and they came down to Bethlehem because they were the descendant of David and they had no money. And when the baby was born, best that we can tell, they stayed in Bethlehem for two years at least. They didn't go back. They may not even had enough money to make the trip back. Let me tell you something. When Jesus was born on the eighth day, they have to take the baby and circumcise him and give him a name. Then, on the 40th day, they had to go back and offer a sacrifice for the child. And this is called as a firstborn son. Every firstborn son belongs to God. That's how it was in Israel. And they had to offer a sacrifice to get their son back. That's how they did it. Mary and Joseph offered the most inexpensive of all the sacrifices. There were three sacrifices you could offer to buy back the son, The third one and the cheapest one was two little birds. That's all the money they had. And they spent all their money for these two little birds, and they had that for Jesus. So for these two years, they're barely making it. All of a sudden, these people show up and give them what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you know what they could say? We're rich. They could say that, but you know what? Why are they going to need that money? because they're going to find out that Herod is planning to kill the kid, kid, kill all these boys and killing him. And so an angel warns Joseph, and he says, you better flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you you can come back. And there was no way they could have gone to Egypt without any money. And yet they now have gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they went to Egypt, and we think they stayed there maybe two to three years before they came back. So God provided for Joseph and Mary and Jesus as they have to leave town. In fact, if you look at the next section in the Bible, it says the flee to Egypt, they have to go there. So these, they, they give them all these things. Now watch what happens. It says, having been warned, and, and oh, I just want to say one other thing. They, they fell down to the ground and they worshiped him and then gave the gifts. They understood that, that that child, that little boy, is the savior of the world. When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? Do you think of the Savior of the world? you think of the one who died for you? you think of the one who, who left the glories of heaven and became a human being so he could take your place on the cross, that he could be your substitute to be the satisfactory payment, not for your sins only, but for the sins of the entire world? Is that how we think about our Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, here's a warning. And, and here's what, here's the warning. this. it says, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country by another way. They left. They went, they, they, they were warned and they took off. And by the way, God has warned us. He says, wages of sin is death. Everybody sin. We all owe God death, which is separation. But he's given us something great. He said, God so loved the world. He gave his son, Jesus. Jesus came and died in our place. So even though he's warned us, he said, I've warned you that sin equals death, but Jesus has died for you. The story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. The wise men left having worshipped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May this Christmas we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me quickly give you these applications. Let's make known the message of Christ. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the one born in Bethlehem. He is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the mediator, the one born in Bethlehem. And so just realize who he is. And when you're with family and friends, uh, talk about who Jesus really is and why we come together. And let me just say this. There may be some of you who have never understood about Jesus and who he is. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death, and he offers to you a gift, a gift of eternal life. If you have ever believed in Christ for eternal life, right where you're sitting, right now, you can put your faith in Christ to give you eternal life, and the moment you believe in him, he gives you eternal life, and you are saved and saved forever. That's why he came. He came to die and rise again and to offer the gift of eternal life to all who simply belief. Let me give you one other application quickly. Let's respond to Christ in worship, who he is just like these wise men. They fell down and worshiped him as believers. May we worship Jesus Christ, giving him the gift of our lives. Now remember, salvation costs us nothing, but as a believer, one of the great gifts you can give him is yourself. And you say, Lord, I want my life to count for you.